0: Um, we are in uh, Genesis chapter 7, we're in Genesis, uh, we'll be reading actually chapter 7 and 8 this morning, so it's a little bit longer, uh, longer reading, but it's a story of Noah and the ark, so uh, hopefully uh, it'll be an engaging reading, though God's word should always be that. But let's stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapters 7 and 8. Then Yahweh said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, And every living thing that I've made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that Yahweh had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on, the day, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast, according to its kind, and all the livestock, according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, according to its kind, and every bird, according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and Yahweh shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah And all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month... The ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And at the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out from the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living creature that is with you, all of, of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife with it, his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to Yahweh and took some of the clean animal and some of, the clean, of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when Yahweh smelled the pleasing aroma, Yahweh said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. You can be seated as we pray. Father, all of us need a word from you. We've just read it. We want to sit here for a little bit and, and linger over it so that your spirit can have its way amongst us. So may your spirit blow over the surface of this church, over our hearts, and bring life and revive and transform. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The disciples asked Jesus. Jesus gave a long response, but it included these words Concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the sun but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. from these words from Jesus in Matthew 24, I conclude the following. One, God is, God's judgment is coming at a time we could not expect. And two, it will be similar to the days of Noah. So if you are hearing this sermon this morning... God has warned us. His judgment will come. Nobody knows the day nor the hour, but Jesus is returning. Some will be taken away into judgment. So we must be awake, alert, and ready for that day. So as we consider this account of Noah and and the flood this morning, let us allow the story to do what Jesus intended for it to do. Let's Let's let it teach us how to live in the face of coming judgment. The first principle this passage gives us For living in light of the judgment is this, get in the boat. Get in the boat. That's chapter 7, verses 1 to 16. Now, as we read the passage at the outset of the sermon, you might have noticed that the prose was a bit more choppy than the typical story. There was a lot of repetition. The story kind of crept along, circling back upon itself. Kent Hughes described this as a style of epic repetitions that is akin to Hebraic slow motion. In other words, it's an artful and deliberate way to tell a story which guides our ears towards certain key themes by slowing down and settling us there. And the key theme of 7, 1 to 16 I don't think could be a lot more clear. Verse 1, out of the gate, God says, go into the ark. And then for the next few verses, He just tells them who to take and why. And verse 5 tells us, and God did all that Yahweh had commanded, and Noah did all that Yahweh had commanded him. And then verse 7, we hear that Noah and his people went into the ark. Verse 8, it says that the animals went into the ark. Verse 9 says they did it as God had commanded Noah. Then in verse 13, Noah and his family entered the ark. And verse 15, the animals went into the ark. And then how does verse 16 conclude this section? And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in. As God had commanded him, and Yahweh shut him in. You can summarize it like this God says, A flood's coming, so get into the ark. They get into the ark, as God commanded, and God shuts them in. This took a lot more words, that Hebraic slow motion, to tell us that. The, the ark was God's provided place of protection. It was the vehicle by which they could escape the coming judgment. No wonder he's saying go into the ark, go into the ark. So here's a simple concept. When God provides a way of escape from his judgment, take it. Kids, here's a tip. When your mom offers you a popsicle on a hot summer's day, take it. When the doctor offers you a medicine that will cure your ache, you take it. And on a much more serious level, when God provides a way of escape from his judgment, take it. Get in the boat 1 Peter 3 also comments on the story of Noah and the ark and it explains that Christ's death and his resurrection specifically on our behalf is our ark friends God's judgment is coming upon this world Now you might be one who thinks that makes complete sense. With all the terrible things that humans are doing, we've got it coming. Or you're maybe one of those who thinks judgment isn't coming. But God's holy book tells us that judgment is coming. Terrible, eternal judgment. But God has made an escape for us. And it's not our inherent goodness. It's not our basic decency. Instead, Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or as God says in Acts 4, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. A flood is coming. A flood more terrible than rain. A flood that will cast us into an everlasting sea of fiery judgment. But the ark is sitting right here. And God's commanded us, go into the boat. The door is open for any who would enter into it. We can only enter into it by faith. We have to believe that God's word's true. We have to believe that Jesus is the ark we need. So embrace that and enter into the ark. So 7, 1 to 16 reminds us, when judgment's coming, get in the boat. Lest we think this is all child's play, the remainder of chapter 7 hits us in the face with the horrors of judgment. The first few verses, verses 17 to 20, emphasize just the magnitude of the waters. So You might hear that again as I read. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. But then... After we hear about these mighty waters, the hammer drops in verses 21 to 24. And we see the awful magnitude of the destruction. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth. And all mankind, everything, on the dry land, and whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man, and animals, and creeping things, and birds of the heaven, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Kids, any of you have a, uh, a storybook, a Bible storybook that has the story of Noah in it? Good. Go back and look at it when you get home. Tell me if it has this section of Noah's story in it. Do you actually see the destruction, the loss of life? Does your storybook show that all life was blotted out. I only know of two storybooks that... I've only encountered in my life two storybooks that actually depict that when they depict the flood. So if you go home and find one that does, tell me, because I want to hear about other ones. But most don't. The Bible does. You caught it. It it emphasizes it with that Hebraic slow motion. Imagine those people as the waters prevailed mightily, climbing, clamoring to a higher place, grabbing for some flotsam that maybe they could hold on to and, and survive a little longer, fighting for their last breath, wishing they could escape, wishing... They were on the ark. As we think of that, now God's justice isn't cruel or capricious. We saw from our time in chapter 6 that this was a just judgment. Mankind was an active and gross rebellion against God. And the world was dark and sin-stained as a result. And nobody was innocent of the lurid filth. No one except Noah the one God preserved. And those around Noah could have asked him about his God-commissioned boat. We know from the Scriptures that if they had repented, God's heart would have been to make room for them on the boat. But they remained hardened in their sin, stubbornly resisting God right up until the moment they were drowning in His judgment. See, those of Noah's day did not believe judgment would come. And many today do not believe judgment will come. But it will come. And God has announced it to you this morning through the words of Jesus that began this sermon. And through the words of other parts of the New Testament as well. When it comes, it'll be awful. Just think about Revelation 20.10. It describes another kind of flood. It says of the devil that he was thrown into a lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then later on in Revelation 20 it says death and Hades Gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. On that day, I don't want anyone who has heard this sermon climbing and clamoring to escape the lake. I don't want you to be left fighting to stay above the flaming waves, wishing you were on the boat. When God says he'll judge, he will judge. Don't mistake his patience as a lack of resolution He pauses to give us time to repent. Run to the ark of Christ. Escape the judgment to come. But let's return to Noah and his kin because they'd done just that. They'd gotten in the ark. The door had been closed by God's mighty hand. And by the end of chapter 7, they'd experienced five months of dare I say, worse than a COVID lockdown. Five months cooped up in a floating zoo. Five months adjusting to a whole new life with three sets of in-laws all in the same space. Not a great recipe. And after five months, there was no sense that things would let up. But then there's this remarkable little line at the beginning of chapter 8. Look there with me. It says... But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God remembered. Not not like I remembered where I put my keys. God remembers in a way where he sets his mind on something so that drives him to act. Setting his mind on something so it drives him to act. And act he will. What he's about to do is really beautiful. But in order to understand it, I want us to do, we have to do a little bit of legwork. So just look back at chapter 1, verse 2 again of Genesis. You probably know this verse, but I want to remind you of it. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So in that verse you have the darkness over the face of the deep. And just before God is going to create, it says the Spirit is hovering over the face of those waters. So before creation there was this primordial kind of chaos that is summed up as the deep. And when God's about to spring into action, that spirit comes and hovers over the deep. Now fast forward again back to our passage. In chapter 7, when God announces that the flood has begun, look what language is used in verse 11. 7:11. 11. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. Same word. The deep. This language is evocative of returning to primordial chaos. This is de-creating language. But then when God remembers what happens, look again at chapter 8, verse 1. And God made a wind blow over the earth. Now, that word wind in Hebrew is ruach. Ruach which is the same word for the Spirit of God from chapter 1, verse 2. So the Spirit is again over the deep, the fountains of the deep, chapter 8, verse 2. God's Spirit is again on the move. The deep will again be quelled, reigned in, and given order by God. In a certain sense, you could say, God let the inmates run the asylum for a bit. Humanity got to taste what it's like when God's ordering hand is no longer there, has been withdrawn. But now, the sheriff returns to town. And immediately, the floodwaters are completely gone. The land is dry. Noah and his kin, five months later, step out onto the dry ground. They rejoice except that's not what happened. God remembers. God's spirit is on the move. And yet, the people wait. You feel that as I read chapter 8? Slowly, slowly the waters recede. The ark first kind of gets stuck. It's, it's What's the bottom of a boat called? It's stern. Gets stuck on, on a mountain, but still under the waters. But, the, but they're stable and then they wait, and slowly, slowly the water comes. So they can see the peaks of the mountaintops. They wait, lodge there for three more months. And then finally, a weary Noah sends out a raven, and it goes out, likely grabbing some food from the carnage floating in the water, then landing back on the ark and going to and fro, to and fro, to and fro, until eventually when the waters are dried. It leaves. But you can imagine how maddening it was watching this raven go to and fro, waiting, waiting. Noah sends out a dove. It also returns, though it comes back to Noah. And he waits another week and sends out the dove again. This time she brings with her a branch from the hardy olive tree that had survived the flood. And there's hope. Hope, but no land. Noah waits another seven days. I mean, this does sound a little bit like COVID, doesn't it? Two weeks to flatten the curve. Forty days to judge the earth. But the forty days become a hundred and fifty days. The hundred and fifty days become seven months. Then tack on another week and then another week and then another week. The lesson here is critical. When God remembers and acts, people still have to wait. In fact, if you're looking for a heading to this section, verses chapter eight, verses one to fourteen, it's this God remembers the people wait. God remembers the people wait. Many of you have heard of uh, Toby Mack, the popular Christian hip-hop artist who's still making music 20 years after DC Talk disbanded. A year and a half ago, he was giving a concert here in Toronto. I was actually at it with my kids. And uh, the next day, he got a phone call that his oldest son had tragically passed away. Well, just a few weeks ago, Toby Mac emerged from his grief with a song that tells us, I've lived enough life to say, help is on the way. Sometimes it's days, sometimes it's years. Some face a lifetime of falling tears, but he's in the darkness He's in the cold. Just like the morning, He always shows. It may be midnight or midday. It's never early, never late. He's going to stand by what He claims. It's the same message. God remembers and people wait. But eventually, people put their feet on dry ground. There's a reason that the Hebraic slow motion forces us to wait in chapter 8. Waters receding, dates and times given, birds back and forth, a raven, a dove. In the end, Noah's COVID lasted over a year. But he stepped out. Now you might ask, what does this have to do with judgment? Well, there are different kinds of judgment. There is the big end-of-time judgment that we've been talking about, but Romans 1 makes clear that the basic mess and muck of this life, this present world, in some ways is an aspect of God's judgment. In the face of the muck that surrounded Noah, he had faith. He looked to God. He trusted God. And when it all seemed like too much, too big of a mess, too long of an ordeal, he waited in faith. So yes, you could say this has to do with God's deliverance because God's ultimate deliverance, when Jesus returns, God will remember, he will move, and in the meantime we have to wait for that. But we also wait in our own mini-mess, in our own mini-experience of this world under many judgment. And whatever that is for you, God wants us to know this morning. God sees our tears. He's on the way. So we wait in hope. Toby Mac has lived enough life to say, Help is on the way. I've lived enough life to say. Help is on the way. Noah lived enough life to say. Help is on the way. And perhaps for some of you, that's the only message you need to hear this morning. 8 1 to 14. God remembers and people wait. But then finally, after a year, in verse 15, we get the new beginning. Remember how this passage started with God saying, go in, go in, go in. Now with another flash of epic repetition, the circle is complete. In verse 16, go out from the ark. Verse 17, bring out the animals. Verse 18, Noah went out. And verse 19, all the animals went out by families from the ark. And speaking of full circle, what was the command given to man and beast back in Genesis chapter 1? Be fruitful and multiply. Same command here in verse seventeen. The end of it: be fruitful and multiply on the earth. It will be echoed again in chapter nine, verse one and nine, verse seven. A new beginning. The Spirit is bringing order out to, out of the chaos. Noah emerges from the ark as a sort of second Adam, a restart to the human race. And Noah's first act is to build an altar and make a sacrifice to worship. Is it an Abel-like sacrifice, an offering of thanksgiving? Or is it a consecrating sacrifice, kind of an atonement for the brokenness of the world? We're not told, but we are told that it pleases God. And in response God begins the covenant that will end with the rainbow and here in verses 21 and 22 we get the content of the covenant look at it Yahweh smelled well I'll just pick up this is the content I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth neither will I make again sorry neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night shall not cease as we saw last week this is a preserving covenant even though man is sinful and that hasn't changed from back in chapter 6 verse 6 God's resolve has changed whereas back before the flood man's depravity prompted God's resolve to destroy now God resolves not to destroy. Chapter 6, verse 6 to 7, and chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, are another example of the beautiful symmetry of this passage, the full circle of this story. But it is important to note that this covenant has an expiry date. It won't last forever, because God says in verse 22, while the earth remain." we know from the rest of Scripture that day is coming when, they, when God will make a new heavens and a new earth. And part of that new heavens and new earth will be a greater and fuller judgment that the flood was merely a foretaste of. So let's heed the story. May it remind us how awful it is to be under God's judgment, drowning in an eternal lake of fire. For me, it's hard to even fathom the awfulness of it. I can't get my own mind and heart around how terrible that'll be. But it will be awful. So let's get in the boat, let's run to the escape God's provided. Because if we're in Christ, we'll make it through the fiery lake to the other side, to the new heavens and the new earth. We may have to wait and wait, but the time will come. And when it does, we'll step out onto that blissful shore and like Noah, we will worship. Worship the God who makes all things new. Worship the God who saves Worship the God who does what is just to fix the dark depravity of the current world. Worship the God who has made a way for us out of this world's darkness. And if we're going to be worshiping for all eternity, let's start rehearsing now. May you join me in prayer? God, thank you for this event This story is captured in your word that warns us and yet shows your heart so beautifully. So may we be people of faith who get in the boat and now as we behold you, may we worship just like Noah did when he was delivered. In Christ's name, amen.